Well, hey, everybody. So good that you joined us today. My name is Jason Wolliver. I'm the directing pastor here at Crossroads, and we are starting a new message series today. And our scripture passage is Exodus chapter 1. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. If you want to pull it up on your phone or open your own Bible to Exodus chapter 1, hear this reading from God's Word. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers in all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly, They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them, to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field, in all their work. They ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if a son, if it's a son, you shall kill him, but if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile but you shall let every daughter live. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, as we start this new Lenten message series today, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would come, that you'd move within us, that you would shake us up, that you'd stir us up, that you'd give us confidence in your work in this world, and that you would make us more like Jesus. Holy Spirit, add your blessing to the word, add your blessing to our hearts and our homes. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have been following God for any length of time, it is very likely that you have some weird God stories to share. One of my favorite weird God stories from my own life comes from about two years before I had come back to Christ. It was in the mid-1990s, And I was home from college for the summer. And at this point, I was in the height of my grunge hippie phase. I had long curly hair. If it was straight, it would come way below my waist. 
I wore a beanie cap year-round. I wore beads all the time. Anyway, on this particular summer day, I went out to lunch with my mom and little sister at Steak and Shake in Mattoon, Illinois. And Steak and Shake was packed that day. As we sat down at the table, we were sitting next to a lady at the table beside us, and she was by herself. And she had her Bible open in front of her and a book she was studying and a notepad and some highlighters. And I thought, that is so weird. Who goes to a restaurant for lunch by themselves and does Bible study in public? This was a couple years before I became that weird person myself, okay? Now, anyway, throughout lunch, she kind of looked over at us a few times, and we just kind of kept to ourselves. And then we finished, and we got up to go and check out. When my mom was paying at the register, I was off to the side with my little sister, and we were kind of just goofing around and boogieing to the music that was coming out over the speakers in the restaurant. And this lady walked up to my mom and whispered something to her and kind of pointed at me. And I thought, man, I am used to this. People thinking that I'm just a troublemaker because of my long hair and my grunge hippie appearance. Anyway, as we walked out, I said to mom, mom, what did that weird lady say to you? Why was she pointing at me? And mom just kind of chuckled and she said, well, the lady said, the hand of God is on that young man. I can see it. And I said, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And she said, well, she seemed to think it was a good thing. And we just kind of shrugged and chuckled and walked to the car. And I thought, what a weird lady. Now, again, this was a couple years before I became that weird person myself. I am that, that oddball now. Anyway, I'm still not sure what that lady meant by her comments, but it's the first time I can remember hearing the phrase, the hand of God, and it really struck with me. Since then, I've heard the phrase many times, and I've read it in Scripture many times. In Scripture, when we see the phrase, the hand of God, it's typically talking about the power of God resting on a person or intervening in human affairs. We often use the phrase, the hand of God, talk about how God intervenes in human affairs to guide history, circumstances, and our lives toward the accomplishment of his divine purposes. And if you've been following God for a few decades, you can look back on your life and you can see how the hand of God was on your life. How he was guiding things, even hard things, together for your good and his glory. You can see it as you look back. Now, nowhere in the Bible do we see the hand of God more clearly on display than in the formation, development, and redemption of the people of Israel, the people of God in the Old Testament and on into the New Testament. And in this message series, we're looking specifically at the hand of God in the birth, life, and ministry of Moses, this powerful Old Testament figure who foreshadowed Jesus. We're looking at Exodus chapter 1 today, and it really sets up the story of Moses. I see four things to point out. One is the plan of God, Second, the efforts of the enemy. Third, the tension we live in. And fourth, the choice before each of us. We're introduced to the plan of God in verses one through seven. It says, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, 
Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Jude, uh, Issachar, Zebulon, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher, all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong. And so the land was filled with them. Now, in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, we see how God created the heavens and the earth and all living things. And then he created human beings in his image, in his likeness. And he told them to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and to subdue it. But the human beings, as they continued to multiply, continued to rebel against God and disobey his instructions. So then God judged the earth. He judged the earth by sending a great flood and then started over with one man, Noah, and his family, and they began repopulating the earth. And they continued also, the people continued to fall into idolatry and things that dishonored God, seeking their own way apart from God. So then we read that God decided to choose one man, Abraham, and start blessing him in powerful and undeniable ways so that the other inhabitants of the earth would see who God really is and what God is really like and turn and worship God. We see the promise that God made to Abraham first told in Genesis 12 in the call of Abraham. And it says this, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, after making that promise to Abraham, God made Abraham wait... 25 years until he was 100 and his wife Sarah was 90 before he gave them their first child. And at that old age, God gave them a son that they named Isaac. And so Isaac was the one through whom all this promise of the great nation and all the families of the earth being blessed would come. Isaac married a woman named Rebekah, and they had a son named Jacob. Jacob then fathered 12 children. And Jacob was, uh, God changed Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel. So when you read uh, Jacob and Israel, it's the same thing, two names for the same person. From Jacob and these 12 sons would come the 12 tribes of Israel. We see them mentioned by name in verses 2 and 3 of Genesis, uh, I'm sorry, of Exodus chapter 1. And so then in Genesis, we see this long and winding story of these circumstances filled with the worst kind of family strife of how God picked one of Israel's sons, Joseph, and he promoted him through these strange circumstances and interventions to be the second most powerful person in the nation of Egypt. Joseph, the son of Jacob, became the administrator of the land of Egypt. And then there was a great famine in the land all around Egypt. And so then Joseph brought all of his brothers and their families 
to reside in the land of Egypt so that he could care for them during the famine. Now, when they came, it says there were 70 persons in total in their family. But then they begin to multiply like rabbits as God fulfilled his promise to make a great nation of Abraham. And this is what it means in verse 7. The people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong. So the land was filled with them. By the time Moses would lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, there would be approximately 2 million of them. So through Abraham and the people of Israel, God made his power known to the nations. Through Moses and the law that he would give Moses for the people of Israel, God made his holiness known among the nations. And then through another descendant of Abraham, Jesus, the Son of God, God would make his grace and his salvation known among the nations. And so, when we put our faith in Jesus, the Son of God, descended from Abraham, we become a part of God's plan. We become a part of the family of Abraham through faith, and we become the people who bless the nations through Jesus. And today, a third of the global population bears the name of Christian having been adopted into God's family as God moves forward his plan of global domination under the loving lordship of Jesus. The plan's been in play since the very beginning, and we are a part of it as we glorify Jesus by reaching people and helping and connecting people to him. And so after we see God's plan being played out, we're then introduced to the efforts of the enemy to stop God's plan. In verses 8 through 14, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. The Israelites built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick, and all kinds of work in the field, in all their work. They ruthlessly made them work as slaves. And so I was reading this week that the new king that rose up over Egypt was probably the beginning of a new dynasty. If we look at the history of the Egyptian dynasties, it's very likely that the pharaoh that promoted Joseph was a foreign pharaoh, and the Egyptians hated having these foreign pharaohs dominate their land. But then uh, there was a change of dynasty around this time where the Egyptian pharaohs again got reign over the Egyptian nation. And they obviously would not like having all these foreigners filling their land. And so in the worst kind of racially motivated um, hatred, they begin subjecting Joseph's descendants to slavery. And the worst kind, it says in verses 13 and 14, they ruthlessly made these foreigners, made the Israelites 
work as slaves. Now, our story as Christians is tied to this story of Exodus. The physical slavery of the Egyptians foreshadowed how we were slaves to Satan and sin until Jesus, the greater Moses, came and led us out of slavery. And in the time we're living in now, as God's kingdom and his plan continues to expand, Satan continues to try to ruthlessly oppress God's people in an effort to keep more people from finding this freedom in Christ. And what we also see, though, is as Satan tries to do this, God's plan is absolutely unstoppable. Again, look what it says in 12, verse 12. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. God always does this. No matter what Satan does to try to stop God's kingdom and family from expanding, God turns it on its head and uses it to advance his purposes. We see this in the New Testament. When Jesus came and people were flocking to Jesus for repentance and to put their trust in God, we see Satan working through the Roman Empire and the Jewish leaders to try to crush Jesus. But when they crucified him, God turned that on its head. God raised him from the dead, indestructible. And then God took the spirit that was on Jesus and put it on all of Jesus's followers, making things so much worse for Satan and those who were trying to stop Jesus. And then when the Jewish leaders tried to stop the church from spreading the news of Jesus after the ascension of Jesus, that backfired as well. In Acts chapter 8, we see the first martyrdom of a Christian taking place. And it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, that there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. But then it says this, Now those who were scattered abroad went about preaching the word. They were persecuted, they fled, and they took the message of Jesus to surrounding areas, and it just kept spreading. Now, um, last week after church, uh, I drove down to Wilmore, Kentucky with Riley Metzger, our director of student ministries, and our friend Greg Boylan, the pastor of the Methodist Church in El Paso, so that we could check out the revival that's been going on at Asbury University. And so we got there, and um, we stayed at a hotel in Lexington on Sunday night, got there about midnight, and the hotel had been full for over a week, even though it was 25 miles away from Wilmore, because people were flocking from all over the country for the revival at Asbury. When we got there, we learned that they had had to close the entrance to Wilmore uh, on Sunday night because the city of Wilmore, it's just 4,000 people, and they couldn't take any more people than the two than the 20,000 people that had descended on it on Sunday. They said the sewage systems, the septic systems, couldn't handle anymore. People were going, and they were using the bathroom, and it was just overpowering their system. Anyway, Monday, we went to Wilmore, and we stood in line for five hours to get into the revival just to check it out and try to get some of that fire and bring it back to uh, Crossroads. Anyway, the campus was flooded with people as we stood in line. Thousands of people were in line snaking all the way through the campus to get in to worship God, and hundreds of people were worshiping on the lawn 
just for hours worshiping in line, waiting to get in. We met this group of people, this Hispanic group, that were singing songs in Spanish in front of us for five hours in front of us as they waited to get into the revival. There were people gathered in rooms all over the seminary campus and the university in prayer, just crying out to God. Now, I didn't know what we'd actually see when we got into Yu's auditorium where the worship service was taking place. When we finally got in, I looked around, and what I saw was over a thousand college students worshiping Jesus, cheering for one another as they told testimonies of how they had been saved from suicidal thoughts. They'd been saved from sinful sexual habits that had gone on for years, and some had physical healings, and there were no frills, no manipulation, no hype, no craziness. There wasn't even technology in there. One girl with an acoustic guitar and a guy with a box drum, and they knew the songs already. There was no screens even to sing from. Uh, Riley knew most of the songs. I didn't know most of them, so I just listen. But it was just a bunch of students singing, confessing, smiling, worshiping together, totally sober. No drugs anywhere on that scene. I'm not used to going to a place where there's that many people outside and not smelling marijuana these days because it's legal and it's everywhere, but not there. It was just people seeking God, seeking God's uh, spirit, more of him, confessing their sins and getting right with God. What hit me as I looked around at these young people was this. You know, we older folks who are in the church and have that role of managing the church, you know, that's already established, we often worry about this younger generation of people. We feel like uh, they're adopting all these godless values, they're drifting away from God, and we feel like there's no hope that things are going to turn. What? How are we going to reach them for Christ? But as I looked around, I thought, God is reaching these kids on his own. The Holy Spirit is stirring this up. This is young people worshiping God and other young people all over the world responding and worshiping God. The college kids, they grew up in all of the sin-saturated environments that are common. And they got sick of them. Those things wore them down. And so they're finding freedom in Jesus. And they're telling others about it. And others are coming to Jesus in mass. Without us older people's help, God is doing this. God will keep doing this, expanding his plan. And what a joy that we get to be a part of it. In verses 15 through 17, we see the tension that we find ourselves in. It says, The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it's a son, you shall kill him. If it's a daughter, she shall live. Now, this is an intense moment. When the Pharaoh can't control the people through enslaving them, he tries to recruit two of their own people to turn against them and work for him. Now, this is intense, and these women had to make a decision. Now, I can't imagine any of us would find ourselves in that situation, but we find ourselves in situations where we are tempted to compromise all the time. Maybe we're asked to compromise our values 
in order to please those in power or our peers around us. We might feel pressure to compromise our integrity at work in order to cover something up or make a profit by not sharing all the information with the customer. We might feel pressured to cave and compromise our morals to get the acceptance of someone we're dating or a peer group. We might feel pressure to support agendas we don't agree with or at least be silent about our dissent under threat of being canceled and bullied online or in person. I could go on and on in examples. But in all of life, we have the unfolding plan of God, which is unstoppable, and we have Satan working through the powers of the unbelieving world trying to get us off track, get us to cave, get us to keep working for the advancement of God's plan. If you are following Jesus, there's no way around it. God's plan will advance, but you will get squeezed. So finally, we see the choice before each of us. Verse 18, But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. But let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called in the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwives come to them. So God dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh just goes back at it. He commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let the daughters live. And that's where we move into the story of Moses next week. So the midwives had a choice to make. Cave to the pressures of the evil empire, cave to the pressures of Pharaoh, or fear God and put themselves in his hand. They chose the fear of God over the fear of man. And God blessed them. He gave them families. He protected them. And God's plan continued to unfold as he continued to increase his people in Egypt. So we all have to choose for ourselves how we're going to live. God's plan will continue to move forward, encompassing more and more people. Satan will continue to try to thwart God's plan. We will continue to be in this place of tension between God and the world, and we'll always have to make choices every day, whether we're going to live with the fear of God or the fear of man. The decision seems like a no-brainer when we think about it on a timeline of eternity, but on a daily basis, the pressure can make things really difficult. So as we get started on this series, let me just remind you of four things. Number one, remember where history is always moving. History is always moving toward God's global domination of everything under the lordship of Jesus. God will be exalted among all the nations. God will be exalted in the earth. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. In the end, God will win. He will not stop. History is moving by the hand of God toward the completion of God's plan. But number two, remember that pressure is always coming. It's always coming. That's why Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Following Jesus puts you at odds with the prevailing world values. It always will. 
you'll always feel that pressure. Don't be surprised by it. I like what Peter said in 1 Peter 4. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, so that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And number three, remember that God is always watching. Yes, as you choose the fear of God over the fear of man, God's eyes are on you. God's eyes were on Shipra and Pua, and he protected them. Somehow, they got away with it, and they got more blessing than they had before they were threatened. I love what Jesus said in Luke 12. He said, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear God, who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And then he says this beautiful line. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You have more value than many sparrows. God is watching. And when you choose to fear God and walk in integrity and trust him and keep serving him and advancing his plan, his eye is on you. He is watching over you. He will care for you. He will bless you. He will protect you. Number four, remember that God is always working. The hand of God is shaping history. The hand of God is strengthening his people and increasing their influence in the world. And I will tell you, friend, you've chosen to watch this today because the hand of God is upon you. His power is upon you. Keep working for the kingdom. Don't be afraid. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you're good and you're powerful and you will win and we are invited to be free in you. Let your freedom grow within us and all around us. And now we pray that prayer that Jesus taught us as we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now let us declare what we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you can be notified of our most recent content. If you have any comments or questions for us, feel free to jump over to WashingtonCrossroads.com. Thank you again and have a great week.